0: episode of Girl Influence Power is brought to you by Collectin. Shopper run the world's tiniest boutiques with Collectin.
1: Today our guest is the young, intelligent, and well-spoken professor and author Laura Wong. Laura is the author of the book Edge: Turning Adversity into Advantage. Her book, Edge, talks about how to gain an edge given the confines of who we are, where we are, and the circumstances that we have to work with in order to gain an edge and gain the system of bias. Basically, anyone who understands how to master and navigate using Laura's principle can excel in work and life. Laura, or as her students would call her, Professor Wong, is currently a professor at Harvard Business School. As one one of the best business school professors under the age of 40 by poets and quants, she spent her entire academic career studying interpersonal relationships and implicit bias in entrepreneurship and in the workplace. Laura, before her days as a professor, has previously held jobs in investment banking, consulting, and management, working for companies like Standard Charter Bank, IBM Global Services, and Johnson & Johnson. Laura received Bachelor of Science and Master of Science in Electrical Engineering from Duke University, an MBA from INSEAD, and a PhD from the University of California, Irvine. So our common thread is that both Laura and I have parents that are first-generation immigrants from Taiwan, and both of, us, both of us actually experience what I call the triple whammy. So we are women, we're Asian, and we're considered young for what we do. So, okay, well, you Absolutely. are young. Oh, no, no, both I, of us are young. I was young. young when I started my company, like, oh, way back then when I was 20. But, yes, you are young <laughs> for for a professor. and um, But also, yeah, you work for— one one of the most prestigious university in the world. So, welcome, Laura. Thank it's great you. It's such a you. pleasure to be here. <laughs> so, it seems like you're really actually very good at gaming the system. So, let's dive right in and let's talk about more about you so our audience can get to know you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had to, right? to so you sort of talk <laughs> about the triple whammy, right? Being a woman, right. being Asian, <laughs> a person of color, um, having to. So, you know, I, lo- I think a lot of it is not so much about gaming the system, but really how do you gain that advantage? How do you gain that edge knowing that the odds are often stacked against you. Right, right. And it's not even something that's always purposeful. Mm-hmm, I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's very implicit. People right. don't often recognize that they're bestowing upon you certain perceptions mm-hmm. or attributions. Right, right. So this book was really about understanding these factors, uh, understanding right. that there are going to be obstacles, mm-hmm. there are going to be stereotypes, right? and how can we turn these stereotypes in our favor? Right, right, right. So,
1: anyway, your book has probably one of the best hooks
0: <laughs> in a business book.
1: I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. <laughs> so, the person that was going to be tossed out of Elon Musk's office with no, that was actually you. It was, it was. Okay. Now, I know you mentioned in the book that you actually brought him a present, you and your colleagues. So, what would you bring someone like him a present? Like, what, what do yeah, you bring him? <laughs>
0: yeah. So, actually, so, you know, we, we had prepared really, really hard for this meeting, right? Right, because ah. and and so and and being the Asian person that I am, I'm like you know we should bring him a gift
1: too. Right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you don't go anywhere not bearing any gifts, handed,
0: right? So so right. not only did we come sort of ready to to bestow upon him our wisdom and our advice and things <laughs> that we could contribute to both SpaceX and Tesla and all right, this. right of him, right right. My colleague and I actually brought him this gift, which is, which was which was sort of this meaningful gift uh-huh. that um, was made out of materials uh-huh. from some of his his products, right? Really? So was, uh, yeah. So wow. it was out, of, made, out so it was made out of um, you know carbon fiber, which uh-huh. is what his space shuttles were right, made right. out of. So we brought him this gift, and uh, and you know, unbeknownst to me, right, when we show up at his office, as you kind of alluded to, he threw us out. He basically, within 30 seconds, he looked at me and he said, get out of my office. Was it the gift? And so it took me a couple of seconds to realize, but that, that he actually wasn't looking at me. He was Uh. actually looking at the gift that I was carrying. Oh, really? Yes, it was. It was. And so that's sort of what I talk about in the beginning of this book, how, you know, very quickly I had to realize, you know, this, this, one of the most richest most powerful men in the co- in the United States right. Elon Musk is throwing me out of his office <laughs> why why would that have been and i realized that he thought we were entrepreneurs Ah, he looking that, for cha that's right that's
1: right <laughs> looking
0: for resources looking right, for money right and he's right. always getting asked for I'm money i'm sure so right his default answer has to be no and he thought that the gift was a product prototype right. oh. that we were trying to sell him on uh. and that we were entrepreneurs looking for his funding or ah. his 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 endorsement right, or, right, or something. Right. So that was one of those perceptions that I had to recognize very quickly and try and flip in our favor.
1: Ah right. And you very skillfully did that.
0: Well, <laughs> <really>? <laughs> so you gotta read the book to find that's out. That's right. That's right. We're not gonna give it away. We're not gonna right, show right, how right. I turned Elon right. into from a man who's kicking me out of his office to right. giving me hugs and saying keep Aww. in touch on the way out. So
1: yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now so the books is, did it start off with the thesis and then you went about proving it with research or the concept was like you know something you already was very interested in you know in your entire life.
0: Yeah I mean so this is something that I had been studying for about 10 years mm-hmm. I was studying disparities and disadvantage um, and and stereotypes mm-hmm. and why is it that sometimes we work so hard we put in so much hard work right? and we've been taught from a young age that right. like, hard work is a secret to success right, right? and yet at some point we realize that our hard work doesn't always speak for itself. That's very Um, true. So that piece of it i had been studying for a while but the book really came together when I was in the last couple of years where I was thinking well how can we actually empower Mm -hmm. ourselves empower Uh, ourselves to achieve that sort of success and those outcomes. That's true.
1: Yeah. That's true because because I think it's a skill that needs to be learned. It doesn't come naturally for everyone. Oh it's
0: something that we think should come naturally but it's really like a muscle We have to build right, this muscle. Right.
1: I totally agree. So. Let's talk about your parents, because I know your parents, like mine, were also new immigrants to the States. Um, And you talk about your mom being, you know, going to the U.S. with pennies in her pocket. Yeah. So what were their aspirations in going into the U.S.?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it it was a very typical immigrant story, right? Like (laughs) like many others. My mother showed up to the United States with $22 Mm -hmm. in her pocket. Um, And, you know, I think her aspirations really were that she was looking for something we all look for. It's this aspiration. Right. For, we're very aspirational. We're, mm-hmm. We we know that we can do it. We know right. that we provide value. Mm-hmm, we know mm-hmm. we can enrich. But we don't always know exactly how that's going to pan out. Right, So right. I talk a lot about how she came to the United States and right. she really was going for directionality.
1: Uh, she was going
0: in a direction mm-hmm. rather than saying, I need to achieve point A right, or right, point right. B. It's right. I'm going in this sort of direction. Oh,
1: that's nice. Yeah. yeah. She's actually very courageous, especially,
0: you know. Yeah, she's a tough cookie. I mean. <laughs> She is. She's. Um. You know. She. She has this ability to both be extremely tough, but right. also graceful at the same time. And right. so I think it's something that I've always strove for in my life as well. Right. Because
1: yeah. most. I mean, most every woman I like, talk to. Like they always find their mom to be the most influential. I mean. In what ways, you know, was she influential to you as you know as you were growing up? Yeah,
0: you know, I think it's changed over time, right? I think people their relationships with their parents, I think over the course of their lifetimes, do change. In right. In the beginning, right. it's much more of they are a they are an instructor, they're right, a teacher, right. they're sort of teaching you, That's and true. then they're sort of a companion, <laughs> watching you, watching you, or right. like it or not, mm-hmm. right? People don't want to always right, and then they 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 do turn into sort. Of a friend mm-hmm. or a mentor, right. or, I think it evolves over time, and I think my mother and I have had that relationship. It's been ups and downs, right? Yeah. It's been mm-hmm. ups and downs mm-hmm. where I've listened and I've revolted, and right. I've listened and I've revolted, <laughs> and um, I think we all have these complicated relationships. But they, but but I very much admire my mother and what she was able to do, and and the path that she was able to create for herself. So
1: now, are yeah. you going? I mean, are you teaching her now? Since you're now kind of <laughs> no, <laughs> in
0: I, the I, teaching I position, don't, I don't think she would ever <laughs> listen. <laughs> to any of my, my teaching. so oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, it's more the tables have turned where right. now um, with my own children, it's, ah, it's, it's right, right the, right, the circle. That, right, yeah,
1: right. You're seeing what your parents you know, were doing with you. And yeah. what I'm now doing with my parents, and right, which parts right, of right. it I've
0: kept, and which parts That's of it I've totally true. tossed out. So. That's totally
1: true. And actually, you know, if what's funny with my father, it's like as they get older and I get older, I start like lecturing them in a bit sometimes, like, you know, you're actually not always right.
0: (laughs) And it is the hardest, I think, with people that we know really well in terms of trying to influence them or change their minds. Right, right. to be so, I mean, my natural instinct is to just be like, okay, here are the reasons why you need to listen. Uh Here are the reasons. But it it takes such a different tactic, I realize, with my mother, where Uh it's very much like, Help me understand why you think, or like, tell me more about. Right. And it takes so much patience from me right. to not just be like, "No, you need to do it this right, way. right, right, right." So you know, it, it is like I, I definitely do use my research in that sense. Where right. I'm so do you about, use
1: the enrich, delight, guide, and effort? I do. <laughs> I use
0: that framework, and sometimes I think about like, "Oh man, my mother is not. You know, I really need to think about how to delight in this situation, <laughs> yes. delight my counterparts." So that she actually will listen to right, right, right. the pieces of it, right? That, right? You know, yeah. So. Because
1: you know, I, I mean, with with parents, with siblings, like they know your trigger points, right? Oh, and it's so easy, <laughs> to... right? Like you forget that, you know what? You when you get emotional,
0: you can't do <laughs> And it's so you know, even just in life too, right? It's so it's so easy to. We really have to practice and be practiced about not bringing out those trigger points. I right. mean, even with my husband, right? Right, right, I, there's, I, I know exactly what will right. set him off. <laughs> yes. right? I, can set, I can pinpoint something right, from, like, right. 10 years ago that if I want to, like, right. win the argument. Right, right, right. But piss him off tremendously (laughs) like I know exactly it's the same with our families right right? right, so we have to consciously be like do I want to win this argument or do I want to actually progress like do we want to progress what we're we're trying to achieve here because and that's really hard right right those as as humans, right? right? It's this this constant struggle between what is it that we want to achieve in <laughs> this true. moment. That's so. true. That's
1: true. Because as much as you can trigger, you also know your own triggers, so you can actually stop your own triggers from happening. When oh, it's I wish happening I was to able you. to do that. I
0: wish I was. I'm, qu- I'm not quite as good at that. I thought, yeah, the, no. the piece of because
1: it. it's funny because I'm I'm part of the CEO group called Vistich. and then there's like you know 10 15 CEOs, and we always get speakers to talk about like you know uh, the Type of personalities we are, or the uh-huh. triggers that we have, yep. or how to train ourselves to be able to spot these triggers and not go off on it. So it's it's funny you say that because you, uh, yeah, because it is it is very hard. It is very emotional, mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. if you know how to use it and control it in the situation, then you can actually you know snap yourself out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I know um you have par- you have Taiwanese parents like mine, and mine are like very typical stereotypes <laughs> stereoty- Typical of Taiwanese parents. Like, you got to get good grades. You got to learn piano. (laughs) You got to be humble. Don't speak up. You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Don't be too assertive, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a woman. So how are you brought up? Was that, you know, same or different with Mm -hmm. your parents?
0: So I... So I um I did learn the piano when I was younger. <laughs> um I did I was very heavily um, you know, school was something that school and education was something that my parents took very seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the difference was that my parents had all these aspirations, but I actually was not very good at anything when I was when I was growing up. Oh, I really, really wasn't. I mean I was I was not I was not musical, mm-hmm. I was not athletic, um, I was painfully shy, oh. didn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the only things that I actually was good at Mm -hmm. was math and school. And so... You know, I think, um, and I also didn't really know what I wanted to be when I mm-hmm, grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was very frustrating for my oh. parents from that sense where they they were they, they very much wanted me to excel right, in right. all of the things that social pressures, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. Asian social culture told them to, right? right, right. She should be musical yeah. and she should, <laughs> she should be well-spoken and she should get good grades and all of these sort of things. But um, but I think they were also very patient with mm-hmm, me in the sense oh. that they they recognized Right. That I wasn't right. really I that that and so they did give me the space to ah. kind of to, to kind of grow and, right, and right. develop into who I was going to be. Um, so I think it was a little bit of both. I think yeah, they really yeah. did have a lot of that the the traditional Taiwanese culture mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um. But but I think they also recognized that they were in a foreign land and right. that they didn't really quite always understand right. what was happening either and so there was th- there there was this understanding that they needed to to also be patient. So ah. I, I credit them with that piece of that. But they were, they were very strict. They were parents. <laughs> well
1: you got um, the math part. <laughs> so <laughs> luckily oh my gosh right. fingers crossed that I at least
0: I mean were or, or you know praised to <laughs> praised that I actually had one piece of it so that they could always say, oh well she naturally loves she naturally loves math. And so um, so that was the one thing that I had going for me. Okay. So, before any of your listeners are like rolling their eyes and saying, oh, my gosh, she was good at math. Remember, I actually was not very good at anything else.
1: Well, um, maybe you thought you were too hard on yourself. You thought you weren't, but you were actually really good. You just don't know it.
0: Well, I, I, that, that's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a journey to say that. So.
1: Now, you were a cheerleader in high school. So did you vote? Did you get voted as most likely to be a professor?
0: <laughs> no, so you can see how my parents right, had to right. be very, very patient. <laughs> In fact, the you know my my mother was very, very upset that I was a cheerleader. Um, really? Yes, she was, and so she did this thing, and this was very much her style. Uh-huh. Right. So I was I was two. I wasn't driving yet. Right. right? right. So this was um, when I was 13, 14 was when mm-hmm. I first made the cheerleading squad, uh-huh. and so my mother. Um, would refuse to pick me up from practices. Oh, wow. And so I would sit there and I would just wait uh, for her to pick me up. <laughs> and so she wanted to kind of show me that this was going to be difficult, like uh, that I really right, wanted it. And it was, right. it was in New Jersey, so right, it was cold. Right. So she would basically say, oh, you know, I'm not going to pick you up. I want you to like, yeah. you know, and so she would purposely sort of make up right, excuses right. so that I would know. And then what happened was I started getting rides home from mm-hmm, older mm-hmm. boys oh. who had their licenses. And so that was... Was the end of that? She started picking uh, me up. So that was one instance where I actually did outwit my mother. Yes, um, that was a good one. And I was a cheerleader for four years, all during high school, much to her dismay. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> nice for me, not as nice for her. No,
1: it's both. I think you know sometimes parents they do need to know. Like you know, kids have their own mind and they have their own, you know, what they want to do with their lives. You know, what they're interested in, and sometimes you know, it, you just. Let let him be. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you know, she had this. Uh, speaking of sort of stereotypes, right. so spe- She had this stereotype that if um if my daughter is a cheerleader, she will never she she's going to not pay attention to school right, and to grades, right, and this right. is going to be the end of her, right. her future. But in fact, I actually think that it benefited me a lot. I mean, right. it really was uh, right. Speaking of being someone who is painfully shy, it's something <laughs> that like very quickly you learn how you 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 learn um, presence and you right. learn. Uh, all of those sort of things, and I also, you know, my grades didn't slip. It was something that, and right. I do think that it gave me very this unique identity at a time when I really uh, needed a unique right, identity. Right, right, I was right. able to be someone who um, was seen as intelligent and mm-hmm. smart, but also someone who was seen as like right. social and could be doing all right, of these other right. things. And That's so I was
1: true. Um, That's true, and I
0: think throughout my life it's been bridging these multiple identities,
1: right, right,
0: identities that often seem at odds with each other, right, right, and, but being able to, right. to to find a way that that makes it really work in a unique way for me. That's true. So, yeah.
1: yeah, because I do believe like women back in the days like we were raised like to be either one or the other. And, you know, it's not like you know they expected. Well, if you're going to be a CEO or a woman or in business, then you got to act like a man. But that's not necessarily the case. Because when I was growing up, I always I always questioned that too. Like, why do CEO women's or why do women in business have to look and dress like a man? Why can't we be beautiful and mm-hmm. use what we have to gain an Yeah, I mean. Like, you know, we could be both smart and very capable. Um, Why not that? But Yeah, Yeah, it's really
0: about (laughs) being who authentically who you are and recognizing that if you are who you authentically are, it will come with certain stereotypes and perceptions and negative attributions. But you can still be who you are and turn those and flip those in a way that do benefit you. So that's something that I've been studying for quite some time now is exactly how do we – how can we be uniquely ourselves right. in a way that still gives us an advantage mm-hmm. and gives us an edge in our lives? Right. Because
1: I think the delight comes with you know, what you said from genuine. I think people can tell when you're trying to be delightful or trying to delight them and it's you're not genuine. And I think I come across that a lot in business too. Um, if you try to be something you're not, and then you try really hard, people can see, kind of see through that. Eventually, and it actually, Yeah. And the, it kind of works against you most of the time.
0: I think eventually. I mean, I mean it is tough sometimes because there are some people who are extremely good at impression management uh, or being <laughs> that's strategic true. and so right, right, right. you know so I talk about how do you do this in a way that because this is not about impression management or being right. strategic at all this right, is about right. um really showing people who you who you authentically are in right. a way that's going to be sustained um and and provide that provide that edge for right, you throughout right. in, in any context that you might be in
1: so it's like more natural really yeah Yep. And it's harder to keep up a front than to just be really the natural you. So now I've actually been asked before by a lot of like VC men (laughs) during my fundraising, my first round um, and actually one guy actually told me, like, why would you do a business where women help women? Like, aren't you guys just all naturally competitive? And I looked at him. I'm like, um, I think we're pretty much done here. (laughs) Like, I don't think you understand women. I don't think you understand the business. Um, Like, what what do you think about that statement? Do you believe that that women are just naturally competitive? Do you have any good examples to give us? You
0: know, what I think we forget sometimes is that there's a continuum, right? Mm -hmm, People mm -hmm. always want to put things in a box. Like, do you think X or do you think why? Do right. you think yes or do you think no? And mm-hmm. I think there's always a continuum between mm-hmm. between everything, right? So there are, there are definitely going to be those right. women who are you know sort of the queen bee syndrome, mm-hmm. like women who are out for other women, and then I think there are also going to be those women who are genuinely want to be. Um, helping women and, mm-hmm. and 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 just basically elevating all right, women out there right. but and I think there's everything in between
1: right right and
0: when there's everything in between what happens is a lot of it is determined based on context mm-hmm. based on individual behaviors individual factors right um, and so you know as much as people like to sort of say like where are you are mm-hmm. you are you on this side or this side right there's right. really just it's not just one side or the other so right. I think throughout my career I've seen I honestly see both, I've ah. seen both, and I've seen everything in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think early on in my career, um, some of my the biggest supporters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had um, I had one manager when I was at Johnson and Johnson mm-hmm. who. Mm-hmm. Sing th- two actually two managers both of them women and mm-hmm. it was because of them that I had the opportunities that I had they believed in me right. they had my advisor in mm-hmm. my PhD program mm-hmm. was a woman um, and I and you know I think to myself these are women who always had my best interests at heart right. I never once had to think that there was some sort of ulterior motive mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's really what you're looking for you're, you are you are looking for those people who you never even have to question whether or mm-hmm. not they have your best interests at heart. Right. Um and, and that's honestly what I look for in terms of the people I associate with, mm-hmm. the people that I want to be with, because they also know that I have their backs right. in the same right, way. Right. That it's going to always be. Sometimes right. they're going to be giving a lot more mm-hmm. and then other times I'm going to be giving a lot more. Right. And it's not always going to be this one for one. Yes, yes. But I've also, you know, encountered women who it's so transactional. If you <laughs> give me something <laughs> Thing, right. I give right you something, that. or that as soon as you sort of outpace them, yes. there's some sort of threat that they feel. Right, or, right, right. So I, I've, I've honestly experienced all of it. And I've had that with men as well, right? Oh, I've had men mm-hmm, who have been mm-hmm. tremendous mm-hmm. mentors and champions right. of me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first joined um, the as a professor at the Wharton School, yeah. um, one of the people that I still to this day, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. he's someone that I would just pick up the phone and call and has always had my back. Uh. Um um, but, you know, so I think it's all in, in our lives, all of us can identify. Right. That's, true. And, that's true. And what I think it really says about you uh-huh. is that you are someone who really wants to mm-hmm. have the back of other women. And right, you want right. them to have your back. And that's something that's really, I think, a, a wonderful and tremendous thing. And oh, we need thank people you. on that end of the continuum. <laughs> that's and true. And I think your VC, says something about it says something about his nature right. and, and the way that he thinks about mm-hmm. transactions and progress. And who? There's so much room for mm-hmm. for for lots of people to win, and lots of people to win in different ways. And right. So I think that's something that I've always tried to. Um, that's how I've tried to live my life and and have the experiences and and people. And I look out for those people. Right. People who that's true. Who I will always <laughs> want to support. And that right, will, yeah. right, so, right. Yeah.
1: That's true. I mean, you usually just tend to not be with the people that you feel like you know are not kind of your your your. Believes in the same kind of beliefs that you have. Um, yeah,
0: I think the problem is when we are so we are so socially we, we are social animals, right. and so <laughs> it's hard to sometimes step back from it mm-hmm. and realize because there's so much hype around certain people right, or certain right, types right, of right, people right, or certain right. personalities, mm-hmm. and we um and and so that's what what sometimes misguides us. Right, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Now
1: I know one of your first jobs was like a right after masters you were offered a job at IBM?
0: Well, so the first offer, actually, that I ever had, the first job offer was actually for the CIA. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and it was, a, you know, to the extent where they they try and they, they like interviewed my my first grade and my kindergarten teachers oh. yeah they try and like <laughs> gather all of this stuff and I ultimately did not take that job or maybe I did I'm not uh-huh. saying um, no, no, no. but I, I ultimately did not take that that job because mm-hmm. um you know my my mom was actually really concerned with um. the fact that I was going to be learning armed weaponry like there was <laughs> the training true, involved all of all of that right, and right. I wasn't able to I wasn't going to be able to tell people mm-hmm. what I was right, doing. Right, right. And, and so now I can tell people because I never took that, <laughs> um, but I did. I did actually. I was trained as an engineer, and uh-huh. so the the job was um, was. Had a technical comp- component, but also right. I'm multilingual, so mm-hmm. I spoke, speak ah. multiple languages, and mm-hmm. and so there was there was lots of sort of things that um, that was involved in that job. But I eventually, um, mm-hmm. I really, I had always wanted to be a, a math teacher, ah, and okay. you know, going back to right, right, what I was right. saying before about how I was not really good at anything, right? But, <laughs> but, but math. Um, you know, I always adored all of my math teachers, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that was something I wanted to do. And so I, one of my very first jobs was I took a, a job as a math teacher in an inner city school, oh, that's where difficult. there were yeah, where yeah. there was, um you know, you would have to walk through, and they would have a metal detector, and there was Ooh. a panic button next right. to the blackboard oh, where you a know panic it, button yeah that's the first. yeah so that <laughs> it was really this this sort of rough school, and I was right. really young right this uh-huh. was I looked younger uh, than, than you still most. No, I mean but I looked younger than Uh, most of the high school students. And yet I was trying to teach I was trying to teach math and um and I, I, I tell this story I actually end the book with mm-hmm. some stories about this because I still actually feel a lot of a lot of guilt I think mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. the reasons why I, I left that school very quickly mm-hmm. um, I was only there uh, for half a year oh. and I feel like in lots of ways that I gave up on my mm-hmm. on my students I wasn't equipped I wasn't yet ready to 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 be that that type of Oh. I just wasn't I, I didn't have the maturity, I didn't have the understanding. Right, I think right. so much of what has guided me in terms of understanding disparities mm-hmm, and understanding mm-hmm. who has privilege and who has advantages right, and right, who is right. able to has been because of those students. Right. And so um I I obviously stayed in education. Right,
1: exactly. Still took a very <laughs> different
0: different route, but mm-hmm. um, the nonprofit, the charity mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. I've been working that that I've started is I think a lot of a lot of it has originated from that. It's a nonprofit called Project Empower. Right. And it's really about, um, you know, empowering mm-hmm. kids like the ones that I experienced right. when I was in that school. It's about kids who have given up on themselves mm-hmm. in lots mm-hmm. of ways. And I find that to be the saddest piece of right. it. It's right. people who have... Lost hope, or they've been told that they're not good enough, or that they don't prescribe to the right system, right? Mm-hmm. That you haven't worked hard, or that you're not good at school, and mm-hmm. hence your future is going to be less than. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, Project in Power, we have a book matching program, mm-hmm. we have mentoring, and we have um, free educational right. programming. Um, and so, you know, someday I may decide that, you know, I've had so many careers, Mm -hmm. I still don't know what I want (laughs) to be when I grow up. Someday I may say, like, I don't want to be a professor anymore or that I don't want to be a professor at Harvard anymore or Mm -hmm. that I don't want to and that I'll go somewhere else and and do something. But it's still very, very meaningful and it's something that I think about very often, um, um, and and I think we all have that in our lives, right?
1: We do, um, we do. And something
0: I talk about in my book is we all have something, right. right? We all have, and we all have something. Not just in terms of these experiences we've had, mm-hmm. but we all have some sort of a disadvantage, right? That or something that has kept us vulnerable or insecure, or you know, for some it's about gender, for right. some it's about race, right. ethnicity, class, right. Right. religion, sexual orientation. Age, you know, there's, but it goes beyond that as well. There's lots of. Um, people who are the epitome of privilege mm-hmm. white cis male <laughs> privilege right and right. they still have something we right. all have something and that's so true. it's understanding how do others perceive us mm-hmm. how do we perceive ourselves right. and how do we turn these things to an advantage
1: right and if you can affect one child that's one extra you know young adult that will you know really grow up appreciating the impact that you have yeah i mean yeah. it's
0: one we always think about it as like helping one life but we don't see that cumulative value It's right, how i right. think about myself as uh, right when if i think about what could i have uh, you know all of the things that i would have wanted to achieve mm-hmm. if i think about what could i achieve in 10 years or 20 years mm-hmm. and all of the things that i could do but Instead, I'm I'm a professor. I have 180 students a year. Wow. And if I, and if I can get this message to 180 students a right. year and they get that message, right. to, it becomes this cumulative, right. exponential effect. Right. And I think the book is one of the reasons why I really want to get the book into the hands, especially of those people who have given up right. or have felt like they're hitting the same wall That's over true. and over and over right. again is yeah. because of this cumulative
1: <laughs> That's true. Because yeah. you are you are a true influencer in that sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know I'm not sure I'm not sure that anyone would ever like attach influencer and professor <laughs> in the same I don't have that 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 influencer vibe, but I'd like to think that I that I influence. Right. And that there is a way that I yes, influence yes, without that typical yes, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah because
1: I, I definitely do think that word influencer has become such a negative connotation nowadays because of all the social media influence Influencers well, it, out there,
0: it, it, is, it almost assumes that I'm like, oh, if I'm an influencer, well, I have to be dressing. Like, <laughs> I right. have to, I have to like up my wardrobe, and I need to, right? I need to love the camera. That I do, right? And 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 so you know, I feel like there's lots of sort of labels that I I very much that I very much embrace, but right. not with the sort of definition that it's evolved right. to, right? So someone was saying the other day, they're like, well, so you're like a hacker. Like, you <laughs> hacked the system, right? Like edge is almost. It's like telling people: yes, you need to understand the rules, right? Right. But you need to also understand the rules so that you can go beyond the rules and you right. can make your own rules. And so, in some sense, you're you're like a hacker. And I'm right. like, <laughs> I guess I am. But the word hacker has this connotation right, to me, exactly. Right, and it's the same thing as what you're saying. Like, I, yeah, in some ways, I, I I aspire to be an influencer in the ways right. that I can influence to aspire. Um, uh, yes, yes, yes. So, right, yeah. you're the influence to aspire. Yeah, Well, maybe I should turn this word influencer into something different, right? Right. I'm going to create like a professor TikTok account and have a different way that people think about about influencers. All right.
1: So thank you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Laura Wong.
0: Now you can try Before You Buy on Collect It. Introducing Experience the new way to shop jewelry. Flaunt your style and express your creativity with experience. Get it today, only on Collectin.
1: We're back with Laura Wong, so let's talk about your book again. So your book Edge is very applicable to life in many various ways and different levels. So how do you see that book? Is it like a business book? Is it a self help guide? I mean, <laughs> yeah. how do you see that?
0: I mean, I think it's both. I think it's um I think it's very applicable to to work mm-hmm. and to what we're trying to strive for in our careers mm-hmm. and our our life sort of purpose. But mm-hmm. I also think it's very um, developmental in terms of like being a self development book where it applies outside of business and Mm -hmm. life as uh, outside of business into our lives as well. So, um, you know, I, because I'm a business school professor, I think that it was framed from the beginning as a business trade book, a business, Ah. a book for, um, leaders and, um, individuals within organizations. Um, but in many ways, I think it's evolved to be something where people outside of business have, have taken and, and used in their lives as a guidebook as well. I mean, I've gotten so so many tremendous notes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. emails and, uh, from people all over the world. I mean, I think one of the most memorable mm-hmm. is um, this man named Caleb who wrote me very pretty soon after the book came out, and right. he said, um, you know, I read your book, and... I've been a substance abuser pretty much my entire lives, Uh in and out of rehab centers Mm -hmm. and alcoholic drugs, all of these sort of things. And I read your book, and I decided that I want to stay clean. I decided again that I want to stay clean. And I've now been clean for one week. And nice. I was so touched. I wrote this really long email about, like, how, how grateful I am that he he reached out and mm-hmm. how it's so wonderful and, I, and that I, you know, all, that he can do it and, right, like, this, like right. all of these sort of things. And then I stopped mm-hmm. and I deleted the entire email.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I wrote him back and I said, there's nothing else I would love more than to get the same email from you next week. Ah, nice. And every week he's now sent me an email mm-hmm. saying, I've now been clean two weeks. I've oh, now been clean nice. four weeks, six weeks, right. 12 weeks, 26 <laughs> weeks. And, and thus, you're the teacher. <laughs> and, yeah, no, and I mean, you know, it was something, and I think, and and those, that's what I think right. this book means to me right. in terms of not only... Has it helped him get back on his feet in terms of his own life? But Mm. now we've sort of – we've had this, like, dialogue through email exchanges where he's like, okay, and now I applied to this job. And now – and, like, I think there's something around where – it's 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 such a personal. Like sometimes right. people say to me like, "Oh, Professor Huang, like what are the five steps that I should take mm-hmm, to gain mm-hmm. my edge?" And I wish I could say like, "Step 1 do this, step <laughs> 2 do this, step 3 do this." But instead really it's a perspective. It's right. a perspective right. where I give this this framework, this perspective for mm-hmm. thinking about your own unique challenges your own unique strengths and weaknesses and underestimated strengths Mm -hmm. and then it's really about how do you hone your ability Mm -hmm. to do this and that's what Caleb that Ah, that's what it really means to me is that he was able to do it it wasn't like me telling him I'm Mm -hmm. so proud of you for doing this I'm so glad you did this it's he did it in his own way. Right. There was something and I don't even know what it was exactly. Yes. <laughs> but there was something in it that said, you know what, I wanna start I wanna be clean again. Right, I wanna right. do this and and so every week, um right. you know, I wanted to emphasize like you don't really need it's right. it, you've got this. Mm-hmm. You you've got this. And that's the message that I think I wanted for my students, mm-hmm. that's the message I wanted for readers, mm-hmm, that's the mm-hmm. message I wanted for, you know. Anybody who right. who I I would hope would 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 appreciate in right. this perspective.
1: That's true because in your book it's very different than a lot of business books that I read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For one, the stories are really in, like very relatable, and they're not like you know some business guy doing this and that, and you know it's a, a, an achievable and attainable something. It's really relatable. Um, it's you're a great storyteller, and <laughs> you tell Thank it you. in the way that it's you know it feels like it's you know every can understand yeah, and Yeah, I really feel, wanted right?
0: I wanted that, right? For every story that I had about Elon Musk or, <laughs> yes. you know, somebody that we know, I wanted three or four stories mm-hmm. about, you know, about Osama who right, was struggling right. to get um, angel investing funding mm-hmm. or Beatrice who was right. a woman in Spain who wanted, was trying to, mm-hmm. you know, leave the small town that she right, grew up in. I right. wanted these stories about people who were relatable that we right. could say, like, yes, I've faced that kind of adversity. Right. And look how they've done it. Right, um, right, So, so I tried very hard to, and I, and I really wanted to. But, but, in, but you're right. Like because I told stories about everyday mm-hmm. sort of people, one of the disadvantages, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking about advantages and disadvantages that I've sort of faced in this, in in this is because I I am a business school professor. Right. Um, there was this expectation that I would be telling stories about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Right. Um, and I'm also not the typical. Business school professor. I'm not the typical <laughs> author. Right, um, right. When we think about the business gurus out there, they're almost always right white men. And here I am, <laughs> um, an Asian woman with a first book. I'm a relatively unknown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, person. I'm I um and I'm and I'm talking about sort of these perspectives and these theories and right. this framework that is. Um, pretty much very very different from right. you know a porter's five forces mm-hmm. or any sort of the the business school curriculum that that we've had but it's been very meaningful and so my hope is that that I will be able to continue to reach people like Caleb and reach right. people who are in organizations that they know that they know like I Yes, maybe I've gotten turned down right. for promotion after promotion after promotion, but I know that there's something, mm-hmm. and I just need to figure out how can I flip this in my favor. How can I actually, how can I take the ways in which I provide value and I enrich, right. and really guide people so that I can that that I can achieve what I know I can achieve. Right. Uh, that's really that was that's really my entire goal here is is really taking those people and 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 helping them know that they can be in. To right. achieve those things, there's still going to be failure. <laughs> yes, there's of course, there's still going to be drawdowns. <laughs> um, but, but that that you're capable, that you're able to, to, to sort of do this.
1: Yeah. And you know, what? I actually really liked your blog that you wrote about the books I mean, because the way you frame the business books, like oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the list of business books, right? Like that's a more well, I guess, well-rounded appetite or uh, what was, what, what yes. was your words on that? <laughs> I, I call it,
0: so I, um, I realized, so I started seeing all of these lists yeah. of like the best, you know, The books that every business school student should read or the top 10 best business books or the top 100 best business Mm -hmm. books. And there's all of these lists where, again, I realize they're all – male authors, Mm -hmm. and they're predominantly white male authors. So I created my own basis of what I wanted my students to read, and I called it the well-balanced meal.
1: Yes, I thought that was very clever.
0: So for finance, here's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. Mm -hmm. And here's for marketing, here's breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. And for each of those, I had a book Mm -hmm. that, you know, breakfast is like that hearty, like here's what you want to start (laughs) off the day. Lunch is like you're sustaining yourself. Right. you're learning more dinner is like okay this is and then dessert is like this kind of fun yep. <laughs> kind of thing and so I had these books and they're it's diverse in terms of gender in right. terms of race in terms of religion sexual orientation mm-hmm. class in terms of all of these different authors um, and the funny thing is in the original version mm-hmm. I did not have my own book on it <laughs> and I started getting all of these emails that were like why, is, why did you not put your own book right. on this this sort of thing so this shows you how how bad I am the, the at Asian like, and the Asian in you, yes, the like, Asian humbleness, the, the, like you know the marketing and the PR and all of this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, I don't deserve to be on the list yet. Um, and then everyone was like, no, 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 you need. So I, I, I have a. So I, I now like I keep expanding the list. And so, um, but but
1: yeah, yeah, no, no, that's nice. You know what's what I found was like, hey, you know, she has a thing with the four steps. Like everything that you have, you teach is about four steps. Do you realize? <laughs> I don't know oh, I if didn't you realize even see that. It. It's Which, like one, two, three, like the well balanced diet. Like what you have breakfast, four, breakfast, lunch, bricks, dinner, yep, and uh-huh. dessert, and yep,
0: and your book has four. Is E-D- Edge, right, right. Well, I so. don't know. Well, the number four is not very fortuitous in right. Asian culture, so I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna have to turn that to an advantage right, right. somehow as well. Yeah, but you yeah. know, I find
1: is like either three or four works really well. Like for yeah. us, we have a four. Like we always like, hey, we you know our whole company culture is about care. You know, so we have like the care, like curiosity. You know, we yeah. have. Our little acronyms yeah. and, and four steps. I, I mean, I personally find like even in sales and products, um, if I go any more than three or four steps, yeah. then you pretty much lose your. I know, audience. but eight is
0: supposed to be that number, right? Eight really, is eight in Asian culture, eight is like yeah, your number, right? Yeah. About, about, <laughs> anyways, um, so but it's a lot. So maybe four, four and four. Right. Like <laughs> be, yeah. And I know you.
1: You have um. You've done a lot of research about, and you talk about like gut instinct. Yeah. Um, especially for someone who's like like engineering right yeah. engineering background and it's really more um i mean how do you how do you i mean what's your Perspective on that because yeah. it's, it's very it goes against your grain basically totally yeah, yeah.
0: so <laughs> I mean so all of my earliest research was on gut feel and ah. intuition mm-hmm. and how do we make how do we make decisions mm-hmm. um, and you know it, you're you're absolutely right right I came from a very technical background right, I was an right. engineer by training and the, what I realized really early on in my career was that when we make decisions a lot of times we are using our intuition or our gut feel to make mm-hmm. it and then what we do is we post hoc rationalize ah. and we look for data or information mm-hmm. to sort of support that and right. i'll tell you a really quick story right. to kind of that that illustrates this when i first started working in investment banking right. the very first the very first um, project that i was on was this mergers and acquisitions mm-hmm, deal it was mm-hmm. this MA deal where the vp said we need you to help our client figure mm-hmm. out who they should acquire, company A, company B, or -hmm. company C. And so we need you to go and make this economic model, this model to tell us whether or not A – B or C Mm -hmm. should be who we acquire. So my team and I spent two months Mm -hmm. working on this model with different interest rates, Mm -hmm. different states of the world, different Mm -hmm. assumptions. We presented it to the VP and the client. And we said, you should go with target B. Uh Here's why. Mm -hmm. And the VP turned to me and I'll never forget. He said, this is an amazing model. This should be like an industry standard. Mm -hmm. I can tell you have everything in you, like the assumptions, the Mm -hmm. interest rates, all of this. There's only one problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is we already decided we're going with company A. (laughs) So can you now redo the model Ah, to make it say mm -hmm. that we should go with company A? Right, right. So I tell this example because this is how we make decisions Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Right, Because of, um, because of, our intuition or because of social Mm -hmm. information or because we've already decided we're Mm -hmm. going with company A. We now post hoc find Ah, the data to mm -hmm. say that company A is the right decision. Mm -hmm. And so all of my earliest research was looking at how do we balance our implicit assumptions, right. the signals, the cues, our intuition vis-a-vis mm-hmm. the hard data, ah. the financials, the numbers. Right, right. How do, do we actually really use all mm-hmm. of this hard data or is that hard data there to sort of allow us to shape it and to interpret it mm-hmm. and slice it in certain ways right. that really supports what our intuition already told right, us to right. do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that technical background really pinched Pointed that to mm-hmm. me, that there's these these two different ways that we make decision and it's it's really intertangled and it's uh, intertwined. Mm-hmm. And the more we can understand how we perceive things, the more we understand the signals, the cues, the perceptions, right. the stereotypes, the intuitions. Right, right. The better off we are in right. understanding how these two intermingle and intertwine. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that's the most um, well explained <laughs> <laughs> gut gut feeling, gut instinct explanation I've heard. Yeah, you know, and I
0: think, <laughs> and I think that's really like that was what you know what I study, what I started studying out. You know, more than more than a decade ago. That's mm-hmm. what I first started studying right. was how do we quantify mm-hmm. the unquantifiable? How do we right, quantify right. our intuition? And I think that's gone into every that I've studied subsequently right. uh, because really gaining an edge mm-hmm. is about how do you hone your intuition? right? How do you hone your ability to see how others see you mm-hmm. so that you can guide those perceptions right. mm-hmm. so that you are empowered to really under... And that's right, really where right. that intuition piece
1: that's kicks true. in. That's true. So. Yeah, because in some ways, it's. I mean, you know, it's very... I mean, I guess you're putting it in words because a lot of people tell me that, m- like, my business decisions are all gut instinct. But I'm like telling them, no, I don't think so. Like, well, you, you shouldn't. Says, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be apologetic about <laughs> right, it, right? Right. Because it's
0: we are in this. We are in a society where we we are almost apologetic. Yes. About being like oh, like now I got to find data to support right, this, right. Or, or that makes to, me
1: very women or very emotional, yeah. right, right, yeah.
0: But you know, your your instincts and your intuition, your gut feel, it's... It's really that's that's the base it's 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 come about because of prototypes and schemas and your mm-hmm. mental models and right, all of these things right. that have gotten to you to where you are. Right. And there's a lot true. of it data that is that's embedded true. in that as well. Right. So there's no reason to be apologetic about right, that. Right. And I think that's something that um you know I talk a lot about as well, is like honing your intuition. Like, right. That's, that's sometimes true. knowing when you should chuck out all the data.
1: Right. That's true. It's about
0: knowing intuition is about knowing when you should actually use the data mm-hmm. and not be guided by other things. But sometimes 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 it's also following your intuition and and throwing out all the other data because the data leads you astray.
1: That's true. Okay, so now... Do you think men or women are different in that the way they make their decisions? Yeah, yeah. You got the
0: instinct. I have a friend who 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 I have a friend who who teases me often about saying, you know, you're like a closet biological as existentialist or wow, that's
1: bi- a big bi- one biological <laughs>
0: essentialism, which is essentially do which is is essentially this 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 argument, this biological essentialism is is this argument that men and women. Mm-hmm. Have certain things that they are pre-prescribed mm-hmm. to be better at worse at, right? right? And the reason why she sort of says this is because I, you know, I tell this story about how my daughter, mm-hmm. um, grow, as, when we were when my daughter was really little, mm-hmm. we didn't do anything differently with her, right? We right. didn't have we didn't dress her in pink, right. we didn't dress her in in red. We didn't we didn't talk about princesses. Mm-hmm, we didn't talk mm-hmm. about any of the sort of stereotypical feminine right. type things that right. that you know. But yet. My daughter, before she even started school, mm-hmm. before she even had social influences, was really like into princesses. She wow. wanted stories about princesses. She was she was attracted to more. Right. And and so I was telling this friend of mine, like, so you know, sometimes I just I think that there are just and so your question is sort of right. along those lines, right? Right. right. Um, I think that women um, definitely have advantages mm-hmm. uh, in terms of decision making, and I think men have advantages right. in terms of decision making. Mm-hmm. And I think there are different advantages right, that right. men and women carry in when they're in, in terms of when they're making decisions. Right. So I think it really comes down to what type of decision is it? Mm-hmm. What are the contextual factors? What are the nuances around right. this decision? And how can we actually optimize the way in which we make these decisions based on who we are? Mm-hmm. The context the environment all of these all of these various different mm-hmm. factors right. um and so i don't think one is better mm-hmm. or worse than the other right, right. but i think where we get into trouble mm-hmm. is again when we try and say this all decisions are created mm-hmm. equal and therefore this gender or this race or this type of person is better at making these decisions right. um i also think that there are ebbs and flows, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can take the same person mm-hmm. with the same decision, mm-hmm. and that person will make different decisions right. um, based on nuances and circumstances. Right, so another right. way to sort of say this, <laughs> yeah. another way to say this is you change one variable. Right, right? here, I'm right. putting on my engineering. <laughs> here. But you, right, if you take an equation, you change one variable. Right. And and the entire equation changes, right? So you change the industry that mm-hmm. you're operating within. Right. You change the mix of people that you're interacting mm-hmm. with. You change you change one variable, and all of these things sort of shift, right? Uh, so. What what is important from an individual level or mm-hmm. from a leader's perspective is being un- able to understand these nuances and these nuances include things like situational arrogance, mm-hmm. um, the intent versus impact, right. um, you know all of these sort of things that that I talk about with my students and talk about in the book as well.
1: Right, you know that one story that you had about your daughter and the princess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because that I was like, oh, that was very clever. So because I have a six year old and. Yeah, yeah. And, and she naturally actually, you know, also was a you know into the princess before that. You know, And I was purposefully actually not giving her pink and not letting mm-hmm. her be the Disney princess fan. But then she was, you know, attracted to it and she goes towards And I love that story about uh, your husband. Yep. <laughs> Can you tell yeah, yeah. telling your daughter I about mean, the
0: princess and how you mean twisted it? Right, right. So it was, um, so so my, as I kind of mentioned, my daughter, you know, every night she, she was just, she was really into princesses and we didn't really understand why. And so every night we'd say, what, what kind of story do you, what do you want us mm-hmm. to read to you today? tonight. And and she'd say, I want a princess story. And my (laughs) my husband would be like, oh, what about a story about an engineer? Or what a story about a doctor or a story about an architect? And she's like, no, princesses. So he started telling her these stories um, about Princess Ashley, who is a princess engineer, <laughs> or yeah. Princess Claire, who yeah. was a princess architect, mm-hmm. and so it was always a um, a a character who was both a princess and something right, else. And so right. it was like Princess Ashley was this princess engineer who would like save her 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 king, her father, the king had some you know some big travesty in the kingdom, and she had to go in there and save it with her tools and right, her engineering right, skills. Right. And so I um I. And, and I loved it because I, I loved that he sort of embraced right. who she was in wanting to hear these princess stories, but also wanted her to know that you can do anything you want to do. Right. You can be an engineer, you can be an architect, you can be a doctor, you can be any of these sort of jobs. that, that and, and so I secretly started writing these down. Like I would mm-hmm. hear him telling these yeah. stories, <laughs> and so I would write them down. Right. And then um, my daughter and I actually turned them into a children's book series ah, where nice. we, we wrote them, mm-hmm. we created illustrations. Right. we found an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually uh, we never actually published they're they're like um, uh they're on Kindle, right? They're, they're sort of, <laughs> but we never published them into actual books. But uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, we have, you know, we have we have the hardcover copies just for our own family oh, uh, so memorabilia. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> but, but they are on Kindle because we had family members and people oh, who wanted to kind right, of, right, right, kind of right. see them. But but it's it, it was something where we we wanted to embrace, as I mentioned, right. all of those turning right. it into yes, into true. an advantage from from the. Standpoint of you can still own who right. you are, That's while true. still being able to reflect upon and right. develop and, and 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 guide the, right. the other pieces. Right of
1: it. now, because we're you know we all grow up with Taiwanese parents, which like hardworking ethics is very important, and they kind of like ingrained that in in you when you're growing up. But you're basically advocating, well, that's not enough anymore, right? The world has changed so much that you need to really gain an edge. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how I mean, how do you I mean how do you tell your audience or or someone who just say, hey, you know, all you have to do is just work really, really hard and you'll achieve everything. I mean this is
0: something that so many of us are taught from a young age. Right. I mean I certainly was taught this. All through, throughout, even now, right? Mm. Sometimes I hear, you know, just put your head down and work hard. Right, right. People, it will speak for itself. And so we're constantly being told, work hard, work hard, work hard. We have such a love affair with hard work, (laughs) grit, right? Like, how many times do we tell people, like, work hard, have grit. And here's the thing. I mean, hard work and grit, they are critical. I would never say that they are not critical. But- Hard work and grit alone are not enough. Right. And when we when we have this love affair with grit, right, we tend to forget that there are so many other pieces to it. So the right. main premise of my book, and even, you know, we spoke about the E D right. G E. Right. The you know the E stands for enrich, the D right. stands for delight, the, gui- right. the G stands for guide, and the final E stands for effort and right. hard work. Right. And effort and hard work come last right, in my right. framework. Mm-hmm. They're critical. Yeah. They're one of the four. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, But it comes last because when we are often told that hard work will speak for itself. Right. But in fact... Effort and hard work, Mm -hmm. when you know how you enrich and delight Mm -hmm. and guide, that's when your effort and hard work work hardest for you. Right, that's true. When you put it last, Mm -hmm. like effort and hard work come last Right. because when you understand these perceptions when you understand how you enrich and you understand how you delight and you understand how you can guide the perceptions of others, that's when you get those tailwinds. Uh, That's when your effort and hard work – actually pay off and speak for itself and even more and you get that hard work plus right right and so you know we 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 often hear things like oh you know women sometimes have to work twice as hard for half the <laughs> amount of benefits. Right. Well, I say, why not work twice as hard for twice the amount of benefits? Right, that's true. And that's true. what you can get when you know how you enrich and right. delight and right. guide right. so that effort and hard work work harder for you and you gain that edge. Right. That's so, when you sort of get those. Right.
1: So yeah. basically work smart with your principles rather than just work hard. Absolutely. Right. That hard
0: work plus is right. understanding that right. success and outcomes right. are not dictated. <laughs> just true. based on hard work. That's
1: true because you know it's funny because I have because I'm in a CEO group and a lot of guys in there like you're not working hard enough I'm like well what is hard enough for you because it's not about the number of hours that you spent in the office you know it's about working smartly for your business and for Mm -hmm. the future but then uh, you know we a lot of people get caught up in that you're right the hard work and then effort and they're like well you're not waking up at four and you're not you know taking a cold shower Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're not you know know, spending 80 hours a week, you know, yeah. or or 100 hours, you know, and you're, you're not, you're, you actually have family and you actually have a balance in your life. I'm like, you know what? I think that's just being a smart CEO or being a, a woman that's, you know, well-rounded that yes, we have work and we have, you know, but we also have a family and we want to balance everything. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's, that as women, we should be very proud of that we're able to,
0: you know, yeah, balance everything. I, I think another way to say this is anyone who is successful works hard. Right. Everyone who is successful works hard and has grit. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of people who work hard and have grit, and right. are not successful. <laughs> that's true. What's what what right. what is the difference? Right. What is the difference right. between those who have it and those who don't? Right. And I believe it's those who have cultivated and and been able to gain an edge and right. understand that where their their hard work does right. So so I think um I think that's and and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is that I've put in the hard work. Right. I am. I I. I I, I do work really hard, and I've been doing all of these things. Why do I still feel like I'm I'm getting pushed down? Why right. do I still feel like I'm mm-hmm. not able to reach reach the sort of aspirations right, right, that, I'm, right. that I'm looking for? Yeah,
1: okay. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Sure,
0: I love so. curveballs. <laughs> so, with all that hard work, how do you de stress <laughs> Oh, oh, at the end oh of my gosh! Day, <laughs> um, you know, I you, I I think there's a lot of different things that I I do. To, I I love um, I love reading, um, and in fact, the, what what happens is I end up reading reading the opposite of the mm-hmm. types of re- things that I, I typically have to read or that right. I, I so I most of what I read is fiction uh-huh. um, so even though I write nonfiction, um, I love just reading nonfiction of all sorts of different kinds um, I also you know I run I'm not a good runner but I, I run <laughs> um, it's, it's changed with since since having kids mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. ways in which I de-stress has, right. has changed significantly mm-hmm. um but but there's not one thing that right. I do to sort of de-stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's uh, a variety of different things where I, I'm not naturally somebody who gets stressed easily. I have a lot of vices and a lot right. of faults. Mm-hmm. But being stressed easily is not something um, that happens. I mainly get stressed more because I know my working style and mm-hmm. I know what works and what doesn't work. Right, and right. there's certain things that I have to do that are right. – opposite from my working style mm-hmm. like i am not great with right. large amounts of uncertainty i'm not great with um you know lots of things that i study right like i'm not i'm not i'm not great with big amounts of uncertainty i i'm i'm you know, that's why I have to surround myself with really good people who, who,
1: who compliment me. Right, right, well, right. So. No, but you know, great yeah. leaders also surround themselves with a lot of great people because it takes a yeah. tribe, it takes a yeah, know, and group I think of people. With, it's, with good people. It's it's, right. it's it's really,
0: you really have to, when you find good people, you have to really like. You have to nurture those, right? Because it's this simultaneous. I've realized with finding good people, and I talk about this in the book as well. Is like, y- you know, you need to have overlap right. in terms of some really key things. Mm-hmm. Because when we when we say surround yourself with good people, people who have different skill sets than you, right. That can also go horrendously wrong. Um, you need to be able to find that those those key things mm-hmm. that you overlap on. You see eye to eye on right. really clearly and really quickly, and then know that you've got this extra, you've got these very complementary skills. Um, and so a lot of even founding teams, the right, reason right, they right. go wrong is because they've got lots of the complementary skills, right, but they right. haven't found that beautiful yeah. overlap that right. allows them to, to
1: yeah. work together yeah, <laughs> and yeah, stay yeah. together, which yeah. is very, very hard in a founding sure. team. Sure. Yep. So what's next for you?
0: Well, so, you know, my my day job, you know, I continue to sort of teach and mm-hmm. do research. So uh-huh. I'm continuing to do research a lot in, in this area around disadvantage and inequality and stereotypes and how we can flip things to our advantage. Um, I teach um, a course, I teach entrepreneurship, um, a course called Founder's Journey, which is around uh, all of the people issues of starting a company, all of the sort of nitty gritty people issues. Um, And, you know, someday there'll be a book too. I have (laughs) lots of ideas going in and out (laughs) of my head. Um, But I think, you know, one of my primary (gasps) focuses is I I really care a lot about Project Empower and Uh, this nonprofit and charity that that we're working on and it's really my way of taking all of the experiences I've had and the work that I've done and and really giving back in a way that I think I you know in a way that I can give back in 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 a really effective way. Right. Um, there's lots of things that I could be doing, but this is really feels like I'm able to make a difference. You know, I mentioned right. Caleb and I mentioned <laughs> people that I've gotten notes from. And, and so, um, you know, trying to find ways to continue doing it's, it's It's not my natural. I've never really started a nonprofit or a mm-hmm, charity, mm-hmm. but I I, I I believe so much in this in a way that I haven't believed in something in a really long time. And yeah. so, you um, Continued to take that forward in terms of the book matching program and mm-hmm. the workshops and the um, and the mentoring and and all of the pieces that that. Um, that I hope that that I that I hoped that the messages of this would right. get across to readers, mm-hmm. but now it's getting across to people who would have been readers but right. don't have the opportunity right. to necessarily have been readers.
1: That's true. Well, thank you, Laura. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Laura, for joining us today and sharing your amazing stories. Congratulations on your book, Edge. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Goodreads. And don't forget, it's very important to leave a review online and share with your friends. It's an awesome book. I. Read it page by page and took notes, <laughs> which is actually something that I don't do very often. Um, so it's very nice that you can come and join us today. Um, in person. And for all of you who haven't followed Laura online or on social media, you could find her on LinkedIn, Twitter, IG, or Facebook, and even on YouTube. Or you can go directly to her webpage at laurawong.net, subscribe to her newsletter, take part in her initiative, Project Empower, to help Underserved and underprivileged communities. And of course, you, if you enjoy the podcast today, you need to subscribe to our podcast and check out our videos on our website, girlinfluencepower.com or on Collectin's YouTube channel. Well, there you have it, Laura Wong. <laughs>